verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? I appreciate the worship at this church, whether there's five or six on the pulpit, on the platform, or just one. I appreciate you worshiping, and I notice that most of the songs that we sing here, in one way or another, either honor God or His Son. And that's the way it should be. This morning we declared you are a good, good father. He's not just a good father. He's a good, good father. And, and uh, we are so privileged to be a part of the family of God, that God brings us together and God redeems us and God saves us and God challenges us. It's a good place to be. But here in my uh, notes, I simply wrote, how big are your problems? If you're able to do a reverse testimony this morning and walk up this podium and take this microphone and tell me the storms that you're going on in your life, I'm aware of many of those storms. Some of us are struggling financially. Some of us are struggling maritally. Some of us are struggling physically. Some of us, the enemy is trying to tell us that we're going to be sick like our dad or sick like our mom or sick like Aunt Bessie. Some of us have been told that there are curses on our life, that we are a cursed generation. Some of us financially are struggling. When I think about today, the biggest obstacle in my life, instead of telling uh, God about my problem, I've come to a place where I started telling my problem about God. And when you think about that, telling your problem about God, he is bigger than any problem that you could ascertain. He's bigger than any problem you could be involved in. So no matter how dark your day or how long your list, I've got good news today. He is still on the throne. He said, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you build unto me? That's not a trick question. We are the house of God. And the Bible says that where his presence is, there he will dwell and take up residence. The word says in Psalms, he takes up residence in the praise of his people. So we know that we build a seat for God to sit on. Our, our words of praise, our words of worship create a place for God to sit. Several years ago, there was a very powerful missionary evangelist that would go to the nations of the world, and he would minister, and he would speak, and he would come back to America for a, for a sabbatical to raise money to go back to another country. And he had come back to the States, and he was a part of the Assembly of God. And there was an Assembly of God there that needed a pastor, so he started pastoring for a few months and loved, loved pastoring, loved the church, loved the people, had one challenge. Because of some challenges in his body, he was obese. And he had some serious medical problems because of that. He struggled with it. It had nothing to do with his diet, had nothing to do with his eating habits. It was just something that was, that was attacking his body, and he had to deal with. And there was a certain couple in the church that he really enjoyed being around, talking to them after church and visiting with them. And he really loved them. And from time to time, he would make up some kind of excuse to go to their house for a visit. And as he would go and stand on the North there's Detroit, Michigan, 
or there's a they got a little patio area there where you, your your snow melts and your your boots you know dry off and he would knock on the door and they'd come to the door and say hey pastor what are you doing he would tell him why he was there and they would say well pastor come on in and visit he would always say no but he always would look over their shoulder and wonder if they had prepared a special place for him to sit because of his weight he couldn't sit in a normal chair he was sitting on the couch and he could and he couldn't get up and it was embarrassing and he said to himself, I would love to fellowship with them. I would love to go in and hang out. Don't they realize that they need to prepare a special place for me to sit? You realize this morning that God is walking the circuit of earth looking for a people to bless and looking for a people to, to, to touch and to heal and restore. And I wonder how many doors of churches does God pause and say, don't they realize they've got to build me a place to sit? Don't they realize that their words of praise and worship create a place that I can sit, not just for a visit, but I can take up residence. I can go home with them. I can be with them. I can restore them. Don't they understand how important it is that their words build a place for me to sit? And today, thank you, Pastor Rhonda. If it's just you and me, I'm good with that. Uh, but I, I, wonder, I wonder sometimes how we kind of go through the motions there. The singers are singing, the guitar is playing, and the music is going. And just out of, out of just memory or just out of, out of just habit, we, we mouth the words and we speak the words and we watch others. And, but are we really paying attention to the words that we are speaking and the things that we are declaring? And you cannot talk about God and him not show up. And what is so cool about him showing up he shows off. Don't you love it when God is just God? He just does his thing. And you come in sick and you leave healed. You come in discouraged, you leave with hope. You come in trouble, you come in with questions, and all of a sudden he starts bringing you answers because there's something that happens when two or three gather in his name. He said, I'm right there in the middle of all that. And this morning we want God to be in the middle of the service. We want God to be in the middle of of this sermon. We want God to just have his way and just move as he wants to move. And as we start talking just a few minutes about the greatness of God, the glory of God, and the question, how big is God, that you would be open to a visitation, that you'd give God permission to come right where you're at at any time during this word. The Bible says he sent his word and his word healed them. So the next 10 or 15 minutes, the word that I share there's healing in those words. There's, there's power in those words. There's instruction. There's counsel in those words. So take a moment and try to focus everything else out and try to focus just on the, the word this morning. I, I, love, I love my girls, and Christine, is, uh, she's a little different sometimes when it comes to watching TV. If we're watching TV and there's a Coke can over here to the side, she can't watch TV. She has to move that Coke can out of the way. Is anybody else like that? And then she doesn't let the food on her plate touch. Is there anybody else? You don't let the, Chris, you're two for two so far. What's the third thing that I can come up with? But, but, but I, guess, I guess she doesn't want to be distracted, and she wants to stay focused. So this morning, please, don't let anything distract you. But if you'll hear the word of the Lord this morning, God asked a question through Isaiah. To whom then will you liken me, or who will you compare me to? And we talk about comparison, and God has opened a door here for us to have some fun. And God has opened the door here for some of our, our juices to start brewing and, and our imagination to begin to warm up and, and begin to thought process of, well, how big, is, how big is God? 
And when I think about God and I think about comparing him to somebody or something, I think about logic comparison. If you don't know what that is, that's an algebra term, and it's a trigonometry term, but it simply means taking something and comparing it to something else that simply makes sense. What do you mean? Well, if I were to tell you today about how I almost touched the Sphinx of Egypt and how when I went to climb the pyramid, they almost arrested me, I'd rather not tell that story. But if you've never been to Egypt and you've never seen, if you've never seen the Sphinx, then you can't relate. But if I tell you this morning that the Sphinx has the face of a man and the body of a lion and it's about the size of a Walmart, how many can, how many can grasp that? Face of a man, body of a lion, and, and, the, and the size of a Walmart, we can, in our mind, when Chris and Susan, I know you've been there. I don't know if, uh, Pastor Ron, if you've been to Egypt, you didn't get to go to Egypt. Incredible place, the pyramids and the Sphinx, and, and, and incredible place, and they have done some incredible things. But when I think about comparison and, and using logic comparison, it's okay for me to take two things and compare them to see what kind of similarities that they might be. This, this morning, I will not compare a pole vaulter with a sprinter because they're not in the same class. But I can this morning compare Tennessee Vols and Georgia Bulldogs, and I have to say at least this morning that Georgia is a little better team than the Tennessee Vols. Did Tennessee win yesterday? They're that much better. <laughs> and if Angel was here, he'd be cheering you on. Yeah, yeah. Did they win yesterday? Did did? did Thank you. I got my I got my Georgia fans. So, you, so in your mind, you can see by comparison, Georgia is probably a better football team than Tennessee. And now that we've come to that conclusion, without a whole lot of things been thrown at me or said about me, I think about I think about comparing uh, comparing great men to God. And when I think of great men, I think of Albert Einstein, a genius beyond genius created the formula E equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times the square of the constant of speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. He's a, he's a philosopher that said you can actually go so fast in time that you go backward. You can actually go so fast in time that you go backward. You say, well, that is impossible. Well, several years ago, I did a conference in Seoul, Korea, uh, Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan, and I was in, uh, Japan, I was in Tokyo, and I concluded the conference in Hong Kong. We had a great service, a great ministry, had a lot of fun. Got on the plane Friday night at 7.30. They get somebody to say Friday night at 7.30. Flew all night long and arrived in Honolulu, Hawaii, 7.30 Friday morning. So I actually went so fast, I went back in time. You see how that, how that plays out? Well, he's the one that said that. Well, they asked his wife, said, said, Mrs. Einstein, do you understand the subject of relativity? She said, no, I just keep his coffee warm. And that's kind of where, that's kind of the category that I would be in, that I would not be able to communicate with that man, his genius and his ability. And I think of, I think of Albert Einstein being a great man, but Albert Einstein talks of time travel. God is time travel. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I compare Einstein to God, I really haven't done very well. And then I think of another man, a man among men, a man that spoke to a country that was being bombed by Germany, a man that was in a place of, of, of restoration and healing and, and encouragement, and that man is Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill 
had a brain like a computer and had the ability to just, just think right off the top of his head. And I know at one particular party, uh, he had become a little intoxicated and was kind of rude. And one of the women of parliament confronted him. And he said, you know, you're, you're, you're drunk and you're obnoxious. And he said, he said, you're right, but you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober. And you'll still be <laughs> ugly. <laughs> he was dressing parliament and he made the statement that one of the constituents didn't have the brains of a flea. And so the great Churchill got confronted, was told by parliament he'd have to apologize. So the next day, the entire uh, parliament was full to the rafters to hear the great Churchill apologize. And Churchill stood up and said, yesterday, I said that this man doesn't have the brains of a flea. I have since learned he does have the brains of a flea. And you think about, you think about, you know, the, just the, the ability to think like, like, a, like, like, a, like a computer, just ramble off information. And then I think the funniest story about uh, Churchill is that there was a member of parliament that he got her very angry. and She got very upset with him and very angry with him. And she confronted him and she said, sir, if I was your wife, I put poison in your tea without batting eyes. I said, madam, if I was your husband, I drink it. So I, th I think about Churchill and, and comparing Churchill, you know, the, 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 the great man that he was. But Churchill was over a small country. God rules the world. So when I compare Churchill to God, I realize I haven't done very well. So then I kind of go other places and I look at men like Martin Luther King. What a man. A man, upon, a man among men who declared his love for his generation and trying to bring restoration and healing. But while he's a man among men, God said, first, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten soul that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And here I think about Martin Luther King trying to make things right where God is right and God makes things right and God turns things around for us whenever we ask him. And then I think about men like the Apostle Paul. Half the New Testament written by Paul. But it was Paul's uh, confrontation with God that made him what he was. When I think about Abraham Lincoln, and everybody knows a Abraham Lincoln was a great man. He gave his life for this country and abolished slavery. And what a, what a task that was and what a, what, a, what a chore that was. And I think of Abraham Lincoln, but I think God sets everybody free, not just a certain color or a certain culture. So I don't do very well comparing Abraham Lincoln, and then I think about David, a man after God's own heart. I think about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. And then, and then I think about John the Beloved that had the vision of revelation. But they were all men. They weren't God. There'll never be another God. He is the only God. He said, I am the only God. Worship me. And so it looks like in my comparisons, comparing men to God is like comparing an ant to a dinosaur or a candle to the sun. So realize I haven't done very well, but I notice, if you will, in Isaiah 40, verse 12, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Several years ago, we had a little puppy that would come into the, into the bathroom and would get up on the, on the, on the step and, and was thirsty, and I would take my hand, and I would fill it with water, and I would, I would let the little chihuahua drink out of my hand, and there really wasn't enough water. I couldn't keep the water in there, so I had to dip it two or three times. And so I think of the hollow of my hand, then I think of the hollow of God's hand. And when I think of the, God, the hollow of God's hand, I think of the Atlantic Ocean. 
3,000 miles it moves to the shore of Ireland, the Pacific Ocean, several hundred miles where it, go, where it moves on to Europe and, and through Hawaii. When I think of the Baltic Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, when I, when I think about Niagara Falls, comes over at a rate of 150,000 gallons per second. There was a Texan observing Niagara Falls, and there was a Canadian there, and he said, hey, Tex, I'll bet you don't have anything like this in Texas. And the Texan said, no, but I know a plumber that can fix this leak in 10 minutes. <laughs> Only a Texan. But when I think about, when I think about, when I think about, the Mediterranean Sea, the Dead Sea, the Mississippi River, the, the Colorado River, and, and you tell me the square miles of, of all that water, and, and you try to tell me how much it is. God said, I'll tell you how much all the waters of the world, all the rivers, all the streams, all the ponds, all the creeks, all the lakes, all the oceans, it's about this much. And he holds the waters of the world in the palm of his hand. Do you know anybody else that can do that? Anybody else that has that power or that authority. Next verse says, he meteth out heaven with a span. In the Old Testament, they didn't have a tape measure. They had what was called the span of a man's hand. It was from his thumb to his longest finger, and it's usually six inches. And so if you were to ask me today how long is this pulpit, I could tell you it's six plus six plus six plus six plus six plus six plus six. How many was that? Six inches? So this is like 36 or 48 inches, I can tell you. But I'm not going to get out there on my hands and knees, Interstate 75, and tell you how far it is from Cincinnati, Ohio, going six, 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 become some hillbilly run me over and hurt me and wound me. But when God says, you want to know, you want to know how big the heaven is? Will you think about traveling at the speed of light millions of miles an hour trying to get to the other end of our universe, which is a small universe, when you realize that there are universes around us that are far bigger than our universe, planets bigger than our planets, and you think about how far it is from here to heaven and traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles an hour for 100 years, you still couldn't get to the edge of our heaven. And God says, you want to know how big the heavens are? They're about this much. And he holds up his hand, and he says about this much. Do you know anybody else that can do that? Do you know anybody else that has that ability to, to measure the heavens with just a span of his hand? You know, the more you talk about God, the more you realize your problems may not be as big as you thought they were. He said, I, mess, I'm, I measure the dust of the earth in a scale, in a thimble. And I think about some of the, the dust of the earth that I have been. I have flown over the Sahara Desert. I've spent time in Death Valley and Mojave Desert. And when I think about all the sands of those deserts all combined, and God says, you want to know how much that dust is? It's about this much. It's about a capful. That's, that's all the sands of the world. That's about how much it is. So we think of God, and we, we realize that how, the song says, how big is God, how big and wide his vast domain, to measure less for tongue to even tell. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to dwell in our heart. Aren't you glad this morning that you've made a place in your heart for God? It's his. It's reserved for him. And although he rules this mighty universe and all the universes, and if there's life on other planets, he's in control of all of that. And what, what, whatever the, the, the solar system looks like, he's big enough to rule that. Did you know if we were one inch closer to the sun than we are, we'd fry do you know in our, our orbit around the, 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 the sun, 25,000 miles an hour, 
Do you know if we were one inch farther from the sun, we'd freeze? But in the beginning, there was nothing. And so the God from nowhere spoke to nothing and commanded it to be something and called it the earth and threw it out the middle of nowhere, hung by no ropes, no cords, no nails. And then God from nowhere began to preach and he began to declare, let there be light, and there was light. And then on the fourth day, he created the sun and threw it out by the earth, just the right distance around the earth that we don't freeze or fry. And the God from nowhere began to declare plants and rivers and trees and animals. And on that sixth day, the God from nowhere got down on his hands and his knees, and he took a piece of clay, and he began to mold it and began to make it. Lucifer there in the garden says, what you're making looks a lot like the word. And God said, Lucifer, I'm simply making your replacement. I'm raising up a generation that's going to praise me, that's going to worship me. You fell. I've cast you out. But now there's a new generation. They're a peculiar people, a holy nation, a chosen generation. And aren't you glad this morning that you have the DNA of God, that God is on the inside of you. God has called you to be his own, and you belong to him. And nothing by any means can hurt you when your trust is in the hands and the faith and the power of God. You're a quiet bunch this morning, but that's okay. That just gives me time. He said he weighs the mountains in a scale. You know that I am fascinated by Mount Everest, that great, that, that great terrain of mountain. I've been to Big Bear. I've been to Mount Baldy. I've been to uh, Mount Hood. Uh, I forgot what, what mountain I was in in Alaska where the volcano's at. I've been to the volcano on the main island of Hawaii. And when I think about the Tetons, I think about the Smokies, I think about the Rockies, I think about all the mountain ranges of the world. And, and all the weight of those mighty rocks and those mighty mountains. And God said, you want to know how much it weighs? It weighs about this much. There's a rock in my front yard I can't pick up. There was a season in our life when I had two brothers attend this church, and they were, they were big old boys, and they didn't have a lot of sense. And I convinced them to go out the mountain and pick up two rocks. that oh, they, probably, they probably weigh over. 300 pounds apiece. I convinced them to pick them up and put them in the truck and then take my house and drop them off. That was about 25 years ago. And where they dropped them, they're still there. <laughs> I, can't pick, I can't pick up a rock out of my garden. But God takes all the rocks of the world, all the rocks of the earth, all the mountains. If, if you've ever flown from Washington to, to Alaska, you will, you will fly over hours of nothing but glacier, nothing but ice, nothing but rock. And God said, you want to what all that weighs? Oh, weighs about this much. Do you know anybody else that can do that? So when I start talking about God and the greatness of God, I must apologize because really I, 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 I can't come up with something great enough to compare God to. In verse 13, who directed God? Who was his counselor? Who taught him wisdom? Who taught him knowledge? What school did God go to? What professor did God sit under? What college courses did God take? Who told God to put quinine in the bark of a tree? Who told God to tell the Canadian geese to fly at 72, 72 degrees, which is a perfect angle of flight? How does God know everything? Who, who taught God? What school did he go to? What university did he attend? Where did he get his degree? How does he know everything? Because before there was everything, there was a God. 
Before there was anything, there was a God. He is before time began, and he will still be here when time ends. He is forever. He is not going away. He's got your back. He cares about you. He loves you again. He's big enough to rule this universe, small enough to live in that little cavity we call our heart. Have you made room for him? Is there a place there for him to move and dwell and have his being? Is it there? Are you, are you focused on that? This is the house that God lives in. There are rooms in this house that are sanctified to God, holy to God. There's other rooms I'm working on that aren't what they need to be or should be, but daily I'm trying to die. Daily I'm trying to cut that junk away from me, and every day I'm trying to become more like God. I'm 64 years old, and I'm not done yet. I believe my best days are ahead. I believe my best moments are ahead because that's the God that I serve, that he's faithful until the end. In the early 70s, there was something that was birthed. I think it was birthed in Hollywood, Hollywood or, or L.A. Things are birthed in L.A., then produced in Hollywood, and then carried out in San Francisco, if you get my drift. But there was a, there was a rumor going on that said God is dead. And there were bumper stickers that... These dummies, I'm saying, if you ever put a bumper sticker on your car that says God is dead, then you're a dummy. So, so they had the, all these bumper stickers on their car that said God is dead. And one day I was somewhere, and this was a few years ago, I was somewhere and I saw that bumper sticker. I go, man, that's an old bumper sticker. I saw that bumper sticker, but I, I started thinking about that for a minute. I thought, you know, if God is dead, then who killed him? If God is dead... What disease did he die of? If God is dead, where's the emergency room that housed his body? Where's the coroner that filled out the report? Where's the person that made the coffin? And where's the pallbearers? And where did they carry him to? What cemetery did they put him in? I'm here to tell you this morning that God is not dead. He woke us up this morning. He started us on our way. He is alive and well and healed and ready to do anything that we need him to do if we're, if we're willing enough to wait for him to move in our behalf. Got three amens now. Hey, we're four. We get about 11, we'll, we'll, we'll shut this down. If God is dead, then who's this living in my soul? Well, that God is dead thing came and went. And there was a guy by the name of Johnny Carson. Uh, Johnny, I don't know if he's still alive. Retired. Is he dead? He died. Uh, well, Johnny Carson had a guest on his show. And his guest was telling Johnny Carson how that Jesus could not have possibly gone from the tomb to heaven back to the upper room. He couldn't have possibly done that because traveling at the, the speed of light, it would have taken Jesus several hundred years to make the journey. Well, I wish I had a few minutes with that educated scholar because I'm here to tell you that Jesus travels by thought. Just for a minute, think about how many of you have ever been to Southern California? Go there with me. How many of you have ever been to Texas? How many of you have been to Hawaii? How many have been to Europe? How many have been to Kathmandu? Kathmandu. Well, th think about Hawaii for a moment. Think about, think about California. You know how fast you got there? How fast you got home? That's how God travels. God travels, hello, at the speed of thought. I just I wish I had time to talk to that man because I've since then have learned that mankind, they have taken, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a, a biologist. A biologist has taken all of the vitamins and minerals that in your body, your body, the potassium, the sodium, 
all those vitamin A, vitamin B, and they place a numeric value on the vitamins and elements and minerals found in your body. And they've determined that the average billed person is worth about $14. My shoes cost more than $14. My beautiful jacket and shirt that Pastor Rhonda cost me more than $14. My Bible cost more than $14. So what is so crazy, you got this $14 man wearing a $300 suit with $80 shoes with a $3,000 wallet on the Johnny Carson show telling Johnny Carson how smart he is and what he knows. A $14 man walks out of that $3 million studio into that $60,000 Beamer, drives to that $200,000 home, goes inside, kisses his $14 wife hello, greets his two $7.50 children. She proceeds to take her $1,000 Gen Air to grill some steaks. She takes those $23 steaks and puts them on a plate, sets them on a $1,000 dining room table. He eats. He puts on a $200 robe with his $100 slippers, and he goes sits in his $1,000 recliner, that $14 man. And in the middle of the night, that $14 man who just sat down with his $7.50 children to read a bedtime story dies. They take that $14 man, put him in that $300 suit, place him in a $2,000 casket, bury him in a $2,500 plot, and then cover him with the very thing that he was made of, dirt. And we think that we've arrived. We think that we, have, we know it all. God is in control. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly where you are in, in this journey. And this journey is coming to closure. Our best days, seasons are changing. The spirit of suddenly is coming. Favor is coming. Blessings coming. For the last day harvest to take place, God needs a church that can finance the end time harvest. To finance the end time harvest, he's going to have to increase your income, increase your knowledge, increase your faith, increase your ability to follow him. I believe that from my heart. This morning, I conclude with one conclusion. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18 simply says, in everything, give thanks. And when I think about the goodness of God in my life, and I begin to list some of the things that I'm thankful for that the God of heaven provided, I think the first thing that comes to my mind as far as thanksgiving is my precious mother and father. 64 years ago, they did not abort me. They did not abandon me. They did not give me up for adoption but they gave me a leave-it-to-beaver environment that I grew up in a healthy home. And all I saw out of my parents was godliness. Sure, either one of them, obviously they're both human, and they both had their own, their own human ways. But God gave me two godly parents that taught me what a healthy marriage was, what a healthy childhood was, how I could worship God and how I could live for God and be different in that, in that worshiping and that living. And then I, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for a wife that stuck by me for 34, five years. My precious daughters that have brought me so much joy. My daughters did not get involved in drugs or alcohol. I've, I've often pondered how I did not reap what I sowed, because I sowed a bunch of bad stuff, how I didn't reap that in girls. But they reaped Rhonda, and Rhonda served the Lord since she was five. But if I'd ever had a boy, I got a feeling he'd have been a terror 
and he'd been in trouble. So God knew what he was doing when he did not give me a son. Um, there's a song by the Hollies. It's a great song. It's simply entitled, Sometimes All I Need Is the Air That I Breathe to Love You. Sometimes I'm so thankful for the air that we breathe. I'm thankful for 30-some-odd years. I've recited at 410 Ashtray. I thank God for furniture. I thank God for a bed. I thank God for food in the refrigerator. I thank God for TV, not just TV, but cable. I thank, I thank God for a yard and a place that I can go and spend quality time. I thank God for the vehicles I drive. I thank God that there's actually, even though Alden tried to borrow all my money on the way to church, I still have money in my pocket. I thank God for the money in my pocket. I thank God for the food. I'm headed to Lost Moss as soon as we're done here. I thank God for that. I thank God for all the things that he has provided. Do I have a friend in the house that has taken time just to consider Thanksgiving? As I reflect back in the 64 years, I see the protection of God early in life. When I was just four years old, there was my neighbor on the other side of the fence took a Coke bottle and stuffed it with grass, dried grass. And he had some kind of matches and he lit the, he lit the, the, the bottle on fire and the bottle fell up against the fence, and my shirt caught on fire. And I'm four years old, and my mom just happened to be washing dishes in the sink. She saw me, and she ran out, and she took her apron, and she rolled me in the dirt, and they took me to the emergency room, and they said that I would have third-degree burns, that I'd have scars the rest of my life. Yet, 30 days later, when they cut, I, I still remember the smell of that, but when they cut that bandage off my chest and opened up my shirt, my, opened up that bandage, there was not a single scar. I think about the time when I smoked a joint, fell off a mountain. God spared my life. I think about the, the, the time when I was younger, driving with somebody under the influence, flipping and rolling a car. I was with Courtney. We were on, we were on um, Frontage Road, and we hit a curve, black ice, and we rolled the Volvo, wrecked it. We, Courtney and I walked away from that accident with not even get our hair messed up. Coming back from deer hunting, I was driving someone else's Suburban. I hit a car. Head-on deer ran out. I swerved to miss the deer, hit a car head-on, and, and neither one of us, literally head-on, neither one of us were hurt and didn't even get a scratch. The, the person driving, they did sue me for $10,000, which my insurance company paid, but there you have it. I thank God that I did not overdose on drugs. I thank God that I didn't die driving under the influence. I can remember driving home with one eye open. How many knows what I'm talking about? I, I, I remember those moments. I remember when I flipped the four-wheeler and broke my back. I've fallen out of three trees. I've broken two wrists. I've wounded about every part of my body. But when I look back, I declare God has been good to me. God has been good to me. And when I think of all the stupid things that I've done and probably will continue to do, I realize that God has been faithful. God has been faithful. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. We acknowledge this morning our need for you. We acknowledge this morning the fact that we've been told that you're here. We've heard of others talking about your goodness and your glory and your favor. But we pray that you would open a window, not just one, but the five windows of heaven, Malachi 3. That you'd allow those windows to open in favor and blessing and honor and health and finances to begin to fall out of those windows. I declare today that you can trust me. I'll tithe whether I make $70 or $7,000, I will tithe. 
I will be consistent to the kingdom. I will walk in expectation. I will expect prayers to be answered. I'll expect doors to be opened. I'm going to believe for mountains to be moved. But I declare that I lay myself upon your altar, your mercy seat, and I, de I declare, cut off the dross, cut away the negative, cut away the bad. In those empty places, put your joy, put your favor, put your love. Big enough to rule every universe, yet small enough to be with us this morning in this sanctuary. Sanctuaries all over the world today are worshiping you and declaring your goodness. Thank you for taking out of your time and coming and being with us. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, hey, Pastor Hank, I, I really need the favor of God right now. I really need the direction of the Lord. Maybe I've wandered away. Uh, maybe I'm not where I need to be. But this morning, I just, wanted, I just wanted to let it, I want to make a stand. I want to let it be known. I really need God's hand in my life. If that's where you're at, just put your hand up. I really need God's hand in my life. Those of us that we are where we are with the Lord and God's been faithful, but we need some things to break. We need some doors to open. We need some things to transpire according to our faith and our prayer. If that's where you're at, I've laid God on the altar. I've asked for some things. I really need God's direction and wisdom in some areas. Would you lift your hand? Sure, all of us have our hand lifted up. We want God. That will be the focus of our prayers, of this church's prayers. To be focus of our of our motivation that God would begin to answer questions that you're asking. God begin to open doors where it seems like there's no way it's going to open. That God would promote us and God would bless us and we would not forget the Lord that gave us the power to do all the things that we're doing in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.